Okay, you sit down with your teenager who's come in at the end of the day, and you say, where you been? And they say, nowhere. You say, well, what you been doing? They say, nothing. And then they take out a bag of Doritos, and they eat the whole bag, the whole bag of Doritos, and stare at their phone and mostly answer you with grunts. Is that a depressed kid, or is that just a kid kid? Or is that a kid kid who could use some help? And the answers to these questions are not entirely clear, but that's what we're going to try to address in today's podcast. Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Gene Bresson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. And uh, so, Steve, since we typically begin this way, what was a big, important, what, what was the most striking feature about this week for you? Oh, my. So I, I'm going to uh, studiously stay away from the news. Uh, it's hard we, to... We do that at the end, by the way. I know, I so know. So you, but, but you it's can't hard. escape that at I mean, the end. We can't escape it, period, right now I know, in our I know, culture. It's, it's... And it wasn't necessarily a striking thing because I expected all of the pomp and you know, drama that, that we've seen. You know, I, th- I think the most striking thing for me was this weird kind of YouTube rabbit hole I went down that I didn't expect to go down that was big hair ballads. Like suddenly I was listening to... <laughs> April wine just between you and me and journey when the lights go down in the city and triumph. I mean, all these bands I hadn't thought about since, you know, I would wear a flannel shirt and have a mezuzah dangling gently between my imagined chest hairs. Why was it big hair? That's just what all these bands wore a lot of spandex and had big hair and wrote these love ballads, these wow. like, like REO Speedwagon. That was another one I was listening to, Think It's Time for Me to Fly. And I just, I couldn't get out of it. I kept listening one after another until my wife finally told me to cut it out. I was blasting it. <laughs> I actually, it's the first time in my life I felt bad for Alexa because I was playing it through the Alexa app and oh. I felt like I was torturing her. Um, you, otherwise, you, you, you might have been. I, you know, she could take it. She so, can, yeah. Yeah, so that was the only That's big the news. I know it's not very exciting, but. That was it. Well, for me, I, I'll stay away from the news, too, although it's, it's so difficult. Um, but we'll come back to the news at the end. But, uh, you know, I, I was in Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska, giving a couple talks. Not uh, far from my roots. Right. And um, uh, everybody's so nice. Yep. Really nice. You I know mean, what? No, they're it, not. They're just civil and normal. We just live I know, in a just, place that tends not to be nice right, a lot of the they time. Are so, people are just so nice. Yeah. But one of the cool things that um, I uh, did in Omaha, um, uh, you know, the, the chairman of the department now is one of our graduates. Uh, and Howard Liu asked me what I'd like to do for fun. And they, and they have, they have a, a, a film screening. They have a micro theater. I'd never been to a micro theater. It's, you know, this little teeny room that has 25 seats in it and I saw a new release of um it's called Birth of the Cool and it's about the life of Miles Davis oh I've, I've seen I've read about that oh yeah. it was it's a documentary I, and it's, it's, not, a documentary. it's not a biopic no yeah. it's, a, it's a documentary yeah. and um you know uh it's it, it there was I mean I was very familiar 
with a lot of the music, but not a lot of, of, of the history and the ups and downs and ins and outs. And, but it was so powerful and it, 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 it was so compelling to see how some individual could have done so much with music in so many different ways, from playing jazz with Charlie Parker and Coltrane and um, being minimalist and really kind of like sticking with the melodies but leaving out a note here and there just to kind of like draw you in and kind of like pull at you to kind of like, you know, being a predecessor for hip-hop and rap. And, you know, I mean, the, uh, the expansiveness of his life and legacy was just... Wonderful, and then I, of course, I come home and I have a ton of Miles Davis already. But then I bought another yes, ten, I ten CDs I of stuff that I that I didn't quite or couldn't find, or I didn't I, I wanted to just listen to. So um, it was that really wonderful. Awesome. That sounds really fun. Now today we're going to be talking about something that's come up a lot, and that's you know for parents, you know, how do you know what's normal, typical, and what's like off the charts? But before, oh, no, wait. Actually, I think parents know that. They can tell off the charts. It's the in-between that they worry about. And it's when is um, is abnormal or atypical a psychiatric disorder that needs professional help. And, I mean, before we get too far down that, that road, you might not have a psychiatric disorder, but you could still potentially use some professional help. Right. right? Like you might not meet the criteria for depression, but that doesn't mean you can't be helped by someone so spending when we, some time and with you. I'm glad you mentioned that because when we talk about a disorder, what we mean is some symptoms that um, impair, together, and more often impair than not. your ability in your social, academic, or work, and family life. And it doesn't have to be a bona fide, quote, disorder that meets certain diagnostic criteria, but if it's, if it's strong enough to interfere with the important parts of your functioning then it probably does need some kind of attention. Whether or not it meets the criteria that we right. somewhat arbitrarily defined as, as meeting, you know, the diagnostic and we can, we don't categories. And you and I see eye to eye where we just don't want to use labels because a lot of our a lot of our labeling of disorders is really arbitrary. Well, um, it's it's problematic also because it shuts down the conversation. I, I mean, I think by that I mean like you can say, well, he's depressed and then you're done, rather because every depressed right. person is is different. I I think this is the question I get asked most often. Uh, you know, if unless somebody is referred to me by another uh, mental health clinician or family practice or primary care doctor who's fairly certain that there's a psychiatric syndrome, yeah. usually the parents will ask, but how do you know? I mean, talk about depression. I mean, this is my okay. favorite one to use as right. an example. Okay. So tell me what a teenager's like. Well, it's interesting. So teenagers who are depressed tend to be... Uh, more tired than usual. Yep, it's like called lead paralysis. Sit, right? sit on the couch and just like endlessly watch the the, the, the tube, um, uh, or more irritable. They may crave carbohydrates. Uh, they tend to um, uh, be more withdrawn and uh, and isolative from their from their friends. They're very sensitive to criticism. Yep. That's actually one of the yeah. criteria. Yeah, uh, but you know what's interesting about this is that what teenager isn't at times just lounging on the couch, not wanting to do anything, is or irritable and crabby. Or that's right, eating junk food. So yeah. it's hard to tell what's what's your typical adolescent and what's actually part of a depression. So how do you tell the difference? So it's a, I mean, we're obviously 
preaching to each other's choir right. here. I, I have this line I often use with parents that unless it's a psychotic illness, and then they're not really wondering. They're like, no one's coming in with a 17-year-old and saying he's hearing voices and seeing things. Is that normal, right. adolescence? Right. Like, yeah. Usually they're, they're fairly worried. That's you pretty know, extreme. Appropriately that, so. But that's pretty extreme. But I'll say most kids who get, like, say, anxious enough to have an anxiety disorder or depressed enough to meet the criteria for clinical depression, they're like kids without an anxiety disorder or without depression but to the 10th power. So, like, a normal part of coming of age is to get anxious. Right. A normal part of coming of age is to have your down days, maybe even to have many down days. But if it's so much so that it interferes with your ability to get through the days more often than not, then we start to think of it as a problem. And then the only reason we use diagnostic categories is that it helps to direct our treatment. We know what tends to work for certain categories. Right. And, well, and, and, and when we say interferes with daily functioning, we look at family life, we look at social life and relationships, and we look at academic life or work, those three big areas. So if you see major changes in any one or more of those three areas, then it, it's, it's an area for concern. So wait, wait a minute. So just to play devil's advocate here, because these are the kinds of questions yeah. that parents ask. So you say major changes. Let's say a kid has a group of friends that she loves hanging out with and then stops loving hanging out well, with them. So, so, right. But one of the things, let me back up a little bit too, and that is, is we need the parents to see that there's been a change. Okay. okay. Now, all kids will go through phases and changes. So, again, so now I'll come back to your question. So what if it's, so what, how can we know if she's just so if your finding kids, a different, just a different back up. If your kid's never changing, you're not paying attention. That's right. what you're saying. I mean, kids change. Kids change all the time. Okay. And, then, and then parents will say oftentimes, and correctly, well, they're going through a phase. Or they're, get, or they're growing older and they're not as interested in, X or, or I see you not hanging out with Billy anymore. Yeah, you're staying out with Billy. And What's... maybe, maybe their 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 notion of friends have changed, or maybe their their values or their interests have changed. So they've joined a, joined a different group. That's fine. But if it gets to be extreme, kind of like what you were talking about with a psychotic kid. So, for example, for a kid who's like highly personable, who's bubbling and who do, who's social and interactive, and virtually everything that she or he does whether it's sports or drama club or, you know, classroom work, and, and they shut down. They don't want to see anybody. They want to spend most of their, if not all of their time in their room. When they're called, when there's an event, when there's a social event, like they've gone to all the football games and they, they stop going. You know, when, they're, when, they, when their friends are all going out to see films and they just basically want to withdraw. That's not going from one group to another. That's a withdrawal that's really painfully obvious. Wait, if it's painfully obvious, why are they asking us? Because they either want reassurance that it's okay, mm-hmm. or they, they want to know, well, what do I do about this? See, I, don't, I agree with you. I just don't think it's always painfully obvious. Like I, I Sometimes think they may miss it. Yeah, look, both you and I were teenagers, obviously. There were times where we spent more times listening to yeah. music in our room and feeling kind of melancholy and down than not. And it's hard to know for the parents, especially given that adolescents, yeah. because they have to start to pull away from their kids, I mean, from their parents, so that they can be more independent. It's hard for the parents to know whether this is normal, this pulling away, yeah. or whether this pulling away is a sign of isolating behavior. But... Instead of giving the message for parents to say, oh, it's just a phase and draw a conclusion. So 
I think what many parents are saying, hearing us, is like, hey, you guys are telling us nothing. You're telling us, don't worry, this is normal, or this is like, you know, whatever. What I think parents need to do is, one, get some validation from somebody else. Like, does an, is another parent concerned? Is a teacher concerned? Have they noticed something? Have they noticed? Has school. anyone noticed? Yeah. So, has, if more than one has noticed something that's really different, that's one thing to do. It, 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 that's one thing that would substantiate this, there's been a change. Second thing is, have a conversation. Ask the kid, what's going on? You know, and if the kid says, nothing, you can say, well, wait a second. I've noticed that you've been more alone, spending time alone, that you've been... What, and then if the, these conversations can inform you about what's going through a kid's head, and you can actually start looking at things with your kid together. So that's the second thing that they can do. Um, are there other things that they can do to kind of give them a tip that that they need to be worried? Um, I well, I think I would rather have parents. Um, I know the correct pronunciation is "er" to "er" on the side of of being wrong, but checking up on their kids than than not. I can't say "er" again. <laughs> no, to I would, err I would, on that I, side. I don't like like I I would much rather have. And I even think this is true for the kids. I, if I were a kid, I would much rather have my parents say to me, "Look." I'm a little bit worried about right. you. Can you tell me if everything's okay? Most of the time, kids will roll their eyes and say, God, you're being so annoying. I am fine. But it's a sign of caring. Right. And it'll, it'll make a note in that kid's head if they happen to be okay, that it's okay to let their parents know the next time if they're not okay. And the, and the other thing is, is that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. I mean, you're not going to know necessarily at one point in time, but if you kind of follow this along and say, look, I want to check in with you from time to time about this. Let's look at this together. And then in, in, cause I've seen this before. And then in two or three months, the, the, the kid might say, you know, I'm a little worried about myself. Hopefully. Could I, yeah. Could I, so there's a familiar face that's been established and assuming they took him to see somebody, which is an, the other reason I would want to, kind of if I'm going to make a mistake as a parent, make the mistake of bringing them to see the pediatrician. Say, I'm not even going to come in the room to the pediatrician. You know, like you go talk to the pediatrician alone or the family practice doc, or if you can, you know, find a mental health clinician to see, which is hard to do yeah. in, in most cities. The other thing I think that's happening is the uh, willingness to accept the possibility of the need for mental health help has gone up which means that parents are more often bringing kids in who actually are fine. And, and I've even noticed that in my practice over the last, you know, 20 yeah. or so years. Whereas in the beginning, almost everybody who came in, it was pretty clear they needed so does to that, be there. So does that mean that, that, the, that besides the threshold having decreased and besides mental health being okay to be an issue that people can talk about, do you think that the stigma of, of, of having a, a mental health problem has has diminished? Yes. Yeah, I mean, definitely around here. And I mean, this is the only place I've ever practiced professionally. But if you want to look at popular culture, which obviously is broadcast all over the country, mental health themes are prominent in almost every adult and child TV show in ways that they weren't and in much more thoughtful ways than they weren't even 10 years ago. That's true. So it's in music, in uh, just public stories, uh, different Look at the celebrities that have yeah. actually come out. Look at the musicians and, yep. and, and, and the writers that have actually come out and started talking about and, their, own, their own mental health and problems. And I really don't think that's grandstanding by the celebrities. I no. think that is their attempt to do a service so that kids who they know listen to them are more comfortable telling their parents they think there might be something wrong. And then if 
everything's fine. They, the parents can be reassured, but if there happens to be something wrong, the kids can get some help. And, you know, research has shown that the Gen Zers, the younger uh, teens, for example, are talking with each other about mental health issues much more than they ever had in the past. They're, yeah. talking with, they're having conversations about it. So are there then, are there, this is a leading question, are there any organizations out there that are providing <laughs> advice? Well, as a matter of fact, um, our communications director, Sarah uh, Radigan, just attended uh, the Youth Mental Health First Aid training, which is offered through the National Council for Behavioral Health. And what they're doing is they're trying to help folks, adults, recognize the signs of mental health issues in adolescents and how to respond in real time to those who are struggling. And this is, this is such cool training because it's not just for professionals. It's for all adults of any kind or any background to actually kind of take a look at what might be problematic and, and, and how to take advantage of this. And even more cool, I think, is that Lady Gaga is now um, working with this group to pilot the same kind of program for uh, to teens themselves. I mean, I, I agree. It is cool that she's doing that. I think the coolest part of this is the addition of the what ought to have been obvious notion that think of the term first aid it means the aid that you apply when you're on the scene it's the first aid right it's the primary help that you provide we know how to take care of a scrape or a bruise we even know to stabilize someone's arm if it looks like it's broken at the playground we actually don't know what to do if someone's having a panic attack we actually don't, for the most part, know what to do if somebody seems suddenly quite depressed or even seems depressed over the last two or three weeks. There ought to be a first aid kit, so to speak, even though it's more of a metaphoric kit than the thing you have in your, your bathroom to cut up, you know, to take care of a scrape. We ought to have that. Right. And the fact that there's organizations taking this under their um, wing to do and then that it's being vetted, right, because you could give all sorts of bad advice. Lord knows there's a lot of bad advice online. But if you can vet it, make sure it's good advice, you can actually get ahead of the stuff. You can do primary prevention, right? Stop the stuff before it gets going. Right. That's what you, first aid is. Right. You can do primary prevention. And, and, and if, if something has already kind of started, started up, you can do early intervention, which is the next best thing to, to prevention. You can actually take some action. And, you know, what I think this is also saying to us is, is that while, you know, we've been trained as physicians, as mental health professionals, there's a lot that uh, parents, teachers, uh, clergy, coaches uh, can do. You know, they haven't been trained formally for, uh, you know, but, 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 but if they have some tools at their disposal, they can begin a process and they can they can so they do need, good things. Yeah, they need, um, I guess we could sort of wrap up with this this thought if you want to. They need guidance. Like if, you, um, if you're a parent and your kid starts having a runny nose and a cough, you, you're pretty comfortable eyeballing it, right. watching it. And if it, you have a pretty good sense of when you had to call up the pediatrician. Yeah. They have a fever for a bunch of days in a row or even a fever for a day. Yeah. That, you know, depending on what your threshold is. I think it's much less clear for a lot of parents what the threshold ought to be when they're worried about something right. from a mental health right. perspective. I would like that to change. And there's would, also many more tools in, in the parent's toolbox for runny noses, earaches, rashes, you know, That's why um, I wanted to change. I want and, there to and be we, tools. And we need, we need tools that people can use uh, when they first suspect that there may be an issue. Yeah, because there are not enough mental health clinicians 
by even a long shot to go around. Like yeah. we, we just don't have enough to meet the epidemiologic burden. Like the well, numbers. Of so the, so just you know there's about there's eight thousand child psychiatrists in the whole country. In the whole country, uh, there's probably about six thousand child psychologists. Um, we don't know quite how many social workers there are because the national organization we just don't have those numbers available. At least I don't. But um, but there are fourteen to twenty million youth. Um, uh, with with fairly high rates of anxiety, depression. Exactly. And, and whether those, again, as we said, meet the criteria for a formal disorder or not doesn't so much matter. They need evaluation or they need to have parents and guardians who are comfortable enough saying, this is just a runny nose mental health versus this is a high right. fever mental health. I need to take a minute. Right, right. And, and, you know, it always pays to, you know, call your pediatrician. You know, I talk with other parents, doc or parents or clergy or neighbors even your, or your parents, like talk to your, you know, their grandparents. Well, that's or, right. Because they've had some experience dealing yeah. with some of these issues and problems and they may, and they may have some advice. Yeah. I mean, talk to each other. Yeah. I mean, so, um, I think this is really great. And I think the more we're all trained to have a toolbox for our own kids, uh, it's going to be, a, you know, a bright, fu- a brighter future. Yeah. 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 That would be my hope. Okay, so as we wind up, we always go back to the news. Uh, so what... <laughs> You're first. You go first. Me first? Yeah. Well, I'm going to stay away from what my addiction is, 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 is national, you know, you know, White House and governmental politics because it's been too overwhelming. Um, you know, I heard on the news that Jimmy Carter... Um, was in the hospital. Yeah, his brain was swelling. He, he had yeah. he fell a couple times, and they said that they were going to relieve some pressure on his brain, which yeah. I assume is a subdural hematoma. That means you know. Well, be careful. It, you don't know. I don't know for sure, yeah. but I just made an assumption. But you know, yeah. it's t- typical in elderly folks. They have a fall or two, and they don't know. But eventually, they have some kind of changes in their thinking or their behaving. So um, there's bleeding. There's beneath some bleeding, but the tough layer of and that that's what's called subdural. Now I don't. Yeah. I haven't read the news, so I don't know that that's in fact what he's got. But you know, I, but the reason I want to mention it is because one, I, I'm hoping that that's what it is because it's it's a treatable problem and it's you know with a you know with a neurosurgical procedure which is serious, but at least there's something that can be done. But it just made me think of how much, how fond I am of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, um, and um, uh, and what what a nice, thoughtful, devoted, uh, wise couple they are. I know you 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 were actually a member of of a, yeah. You went to the Carter Center. I never went there. I was I corresponded and did stuff remotely. Um, they are. They're amazing. Like, that was going to be the thing I was going to bring up, too. I mean, I think Carter's, what, 90? 90, 95. 95. Yeah. So, uh, whether or not you liked his politics, whether or not you thought he was a good president, he was, he is, he was an immensely decent president, and he is an immensely decent right. human being. Right. The contributions he's made to this planet, I think nobody cannot celebrate. Right. They are imminently celebrated. And particularly in mental health. I mean, the yeah. Carter Center... Particularly uh, has a, in everything. Yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of things. Yeah. The, the, the social economic determinants of health. Yeah. Like, he builds houses for people. It's what amazing. do people need? They need a roof over their yeah. head. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So that's, that's what struck me in the news this week. And we wish him well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, folks. Well, uh, if, if you want to hear more about, you know, normal versus atypical uh, teams or you want to kind of write something to us or ask us something, just, you know, come to the Clay Center and let us know what's on your mind. I'm Gene Baresi. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Okay. Go.